We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Barcelona news makes rival fans accidentally admit that Mikel is a good coach. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, so the the news, I said news, it wasn't really news, uh, as Mikel called it, fake news, but breaks that uh, Mikel is off to Barcelona, and it leads to fans of rival clubs on social media cheering and laughing at us losing Mikel. Uh, upon the news being rubbished, they then have to do an about face and say, well, it's not that we thought he was good. You know, it, we just thought it was funny. It's not because we thought he was good, but yeah, they, they, they kind of showed their whole ass on that one. So kind of funny. Um, look, obviously we got to talk about the Klopp news. It's huge news. We will though, um, do the Arsenal centric stuff and probably do it first. I don't think we'll talk about Mikel going to Barca, but maybe we'll talk about that rumor coming out and what it's going to be like in the wake of Xavi leaving Barca and and how we might be impacted by that. I think there's a merry-go-round here, though. And I think it goes, Xavi leaves Barca, so Pep leaves City to go to Barca. And then company can go to City. I think Gerard can go to Liverpool. Um, I don't know where that leaves Klopp going. Xavi Alonso can go to Real Madrid. That's fine. Um, but but I see this merry-go-round playing out in a positive way if we just will it into existence. Um, we'll talk some team news. It is the rare occasion that I believe, and I don't want to jinx it, we are recording the pod at the perfect time. The presser's been done. We know the team news. The the Barca links have been rubbished, even though we know they were always rubbish. So we're in, we're in a pretty good spot here, I think. We will, of course, have an instant reaction uh, to tomorrow's game. But as far as the schedule for this week... The post-match pod will come out on Thursday at its regular time. So if you want to catch the instant reaction, that'll be out tomorrow. And I think we're going to live stream it since the game is an evening game. And that way, if you want to catch it like right at full time, it'll be live streamed. You can watch it live in real time, um, but it'll also be out recorded. Uh, Clive has finally been talked into the idea of doing the director of football episode that he didn't want to do after listening to Phil's and saying that <laughs> it riled him up and he's ready to go. So we're going to keep doing the director of football episodes because those have been uh, one of the more fun and and popular things we've done in a while. Um not much else to tell you right now. So all I will tell you is that you can uh, now be listening to Clive, who is on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And can I just say, it wasn't Phil that riled me up. It was you. 
<laughs> so I can't wait to see you. <laughs> I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard both sides of that story. Um, and Tim on, on Twitter, at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I think, honestly, like, it's such a dead site. I might just drop the he's on Twitter at and just say, here's Clive and here's Tim. Because, like, at this point, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, so uh, let's let's do the Arsenal stuff first. We'll, we'll do the Klopp stuff, of course, because I think it is really, really big, and I want to talk about uh, what it means. There is a pod over on Patreon dedicated to it right when the news broke, if you want to hear that, but we'll get uh, more erudite thoughts on it from Tim and Clive today. But l- let's start with the Mikel thing. And um, I don't know, Tim, like, I never believed that he was going to go to Barca. I never thought that news was true. It was rubbished pretty quickly after it came out. And Mikel has now today fully rubbished it and said it really hurt him, really upset him. And I can understand why, because it can destabilize a dressing room that I think is pretty tranquil and together. But I think the bigger point is, for me, we have a manager who is ascending in the game and he is going to get linked with big jobs when they open. It doesn't mean those links will be real and it doesn't mean he wants to go. Um, the Barca thing is just going to be a drumbeat now, in my view. Even though he's rubbished it, I still think it'll be a drumbeat. I still think you'll have, you know, Catalonian press just wanting to stir the pot and say, despite his public comments, Mikel is interested in the Barca job or, you know, whatever friends claim it is intriguing to him. Do you think this puts pressure on the club to just get an extension announced and out? Do you think there's maybe an angle where Mikel secretly thinks this is great news in a way because it just makes it that much easier for him to have a little leverage to get it done at a number that suits him. I mean, is there, is there a potential for this to be an annoyance, even though I think all of us know there's not much chance he's taking this job. Okay. Jinx alert. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm not remotely worried about him going to Barcelona at this stage. Um, for the simple fact that I always think people are kind of slow to catch up with what's actually happening now, today, in football. Mm. It's not 2011. Barcelona. This is not Messi's Barcelona managed by Pep. This is a this is a husk of a Barcelona team. Oh, come on, Tim. They could sell a few more stands or a few more pieces <laughs> of the pitch and, and get Mikel, right? <laughs> Pull a lever. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm not saying they're a terrible team. Obviously, they're not. But have you looked at their playing squad? Mm. Like, it's not Xavi, Iniesta. It's not even Rakitic, Fabregas, Sanchez. Like, some of the guys that, you know big clubs picked up because they didn't want them anymore. Like they don't even have that anymore. Really. They don't have a lot of players I'd take anymore mm. to be quite frank. And if you look at the class of player, they're really going for like, th- this is a different time. And so I would be much more worried about, and also like, we know what the Catalan press is like, like, like why on earth would you trust those guys? Like it's, it's a nakedly propaganda operation, what I would worry more about, Elliot, is that the Liverpool job's coming up <laughs> and maybe the Manchester United job will come up when uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe does his little his little rounds and like there are big jobs coming up and we don't know how much longer Chelsea will stay with Mauricio Pochettino, for example. Like the Premier League at the moment is just absolute like centre of the universe for both managerial jobs and playing gigs. And I just, I, I don't even think Barcelona can compete with that anymore. Even like Bayern Munich bought Eric Dyer. Bayern Munich tried to buy Joao Paulinho, uh, Paulinho who's, who's a good player, but this is not the class of player that they were trying to pick up from the Premier League even five years ago. Like, it really is the land of milk and honey. So for me, 
if I were Mikel's agent, I'd probably be looking at Liverpool and <laughs> saying yeah. that job's coming up. Uh, who knows if they'd be interested or not? I don't know. If I were a Liverpool fan and I thought I could get it done, I'd be interested in that if, you know, if I put my kind of Liverpool hat on. So that that's what I would be more worried about. I, I'm not worried at the moment. Football's fluid. It can change. Things can change very quickly, as they have for Barcelona. But at the moment, that I, I don't really worry about any job outside the Premier League. It's much more inside the Premier League that I would be I would be slightly anxious about. And if I were Mikel's people, that's where I'd be leveraging at the moment. Yeah, we're in a unique position to keep Mikel, even if he wanted to leave, in the sense that we're in a time where the Premier League is in the ascendancy, not just in terms of popularity, but in terms of financial might. We are in a period where I think if Pep were to leave City, which is probably the Premier League job that might interest him for reasons that are maybe putting two and two together and getting 22, like maybe I'm oversimplifying that, but it seems that way, um, there'd still be the cloud hanging over them of possible... Um, punishment for their many, 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 many financial improprieties and corruption. So I think it would be a dangerous job to take, right? For that reason. Klopp leaving now means that even if the Liverpool job is attractive, it it will be filled, I think, sooner than the cycle of where Mikel would even, even remotely look to do that. And so I think it, it's just perfect timing. You have the, you have the financial might um, concentrated in the Premier League. You have no other job that I think looks appealing. Mikel has actually, ironically, turned Arsenal into probably the most appealing job right now. So kudos to him for that. And and Clive, I just, I, I think it is, I was going to say it's unfortunate what's happened to Barcelona, but I really don't find it to be unfortunate. That's a club that I, I can kind of enjoy their demise, I, I must admit, with everything we've been through with them. But yeah, it's just, it's not the attractive job that it once might have been. So, I think everyone presumes Mikel will be extended, but do you have any concern at all about distraction creeping in as the drumbeat of this bangs on and that getting an extension announced just cr- creates the elimination of any possible uh, a drumbeat that might be a distraction for the team? Yeah, if you put yourself in Mikel's position, right, so the, the, the whole club have just been out to Dubai and no doubt shared some magical moments together as a group. And as a family, <clears throat> and with their families, and basically reinstated their commitment to each other and worked out what they want to do, realigned their goals, what they want to achieve. And what then happens? When he comes back, within a week or so, someone links him with another job. And I, I bet that's, to him that's the complete opposite to what he was you know, talking about. He was talking about how committed he would be. Can you imagine what it's like when you go away on a, on a group trip? You do, you know, you share things with people and... And so I think I must have disappointed him. You look at Barcelona, I don't want it. I don't think Tim's covered it, right? They're just, they're in a different place. The whole league is, to be honest. Yeah. They're a different place. I see Barcelona played a 16-year-old centre-back the other day. They've they also got a 16, 70-year-old winger, and you, is it Yamin Yamal, um, who plays on, he's like a Rafinha clone type thing from the, from the right-hand side. They've got Balde, a left-back. I don't think he's more than 18. They just brought a Brazilian kid, Vita Roque, in who's like 18 or so. I may have got his numbers slightly wrong, but I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is they, there is a, a push to go extremely young. So they are a project on the football side of things. They're rebuilding the stadium. They've got the referee uh, discussion going on in the background around bribery. 
and um, and they've got they've mortgaged their future. I mean, mate, it's not exactly sitting there as a blue chip job, is it? You know, and so um, I wouldn't be running to that project and just because I speak the same language, <laughs> right? So uh, and so it's very uh, very poor journalism, shall we say? And uh, we shouldn't spend too much time talking about it. But wait, I think your earlier point earlier about what it uncovered in us as Arsenal people and other fans. Maybe just read, just like a slap man of chops to say, yeah, we might not like some of your substitutions, Mikel. You need to get him on three minutes earlier. And um, we, that Smith Rowe, you need to get him on. You know what I mean? And, uh, you need, these are really small details compared to what, you know, how he's transformed the club along with other people and the level that we now discuss and issues we discuss. They're first world problems, aren't they? Compared to what Barcelona are having to face. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. It's weird. I feel like we should be talking about this more, but it just, it would be doing it for the sake of creating content, not because there's any there there. Um, I do think sometimes a link like this gives you, as you said, Clive, an opportunity to reconsider your perceptions of the manager. Um, But I've also started to appreciate that social media in general is totally broken. And I am someone who has, because, and I think a lot of us who are in my position, who are not close to the club geographically, wind up in a situation where their perceptions of what fans think and what's happening at the club is shaped by social media. Um, If you get to go to the ground regularly, that's a privileged position, and you get to engage with people in person. Even if you're in a place where there's a local that gets filled up with fans and you can go and be around them, again, that's a privileged position. But for the rest of the people listening, the rest of the people that love Arsenal, Your connection to the club is either through the content you consume or social media. And that can really distort your perception of things because social media algorithms are going to amplify the most extreme views. It is only on social media that I come in contact with people who literally will say, Mikel's a clown. He can't get out of our club fast enough. He's destroyed our club. I mean, you will come in contact with that. I'm not going to name check any people, but there are people that have cultivated pretty large followings and pretty large um, groups almost like the word cult is not what I mean, but you get the idea, around hating Mikel Arteta. Social media loves that because the algorithm really gets fed by the extremes. And by the way, I will confess, there is the opposite on social media as well, of course. The people who will shout down any critique of the manager. That's just how social media works. But I admit that it seeps into my analysis at times because I am exposed to it. And I have to take a step back and take a breath and realize that like that's just not a reflection of the the general, I think, thoughtful population of Arsenal fans and the way they think about things. I think overwhelmingly the perception is Mikel is an excellent up-and-coming manager who, while he may have things to work on in his management, is taking us in a good direction. And so uh, overall, I think this has given me a moment to maybe step back out of the fog of immediate reaction and the intensity of uh, elation and frustration around the results and think about what I believe about the manager, which is, I don't know if there's anyone else out there I'd want. I think we have the guy that I want us to have. And that doesn't mean he's perfect, but it means I really like where we're headed. And so maybe the best thing that came out of this, at least for me personally, because obviously the most important thing is what I think personally, um, is to just stop and reevaluate and say, you know, outside of the immediacy, how do I feel about things? And I think I feel really good about things. And Tim, that's that's sort of where I want to wrap this conversation, but I just want to finish up with you on that, which is I think I have a renewed appreciation for just how just how laser focused we can be 
on the day-to-day, result-to-result, transfer rumor-to-rumor, you know, and and judge everything by what's happening in the moment. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if something like this gives you a chance to just pause, stop, zoom out, and think, how would I feel if he left? Would I want someone else? How upset would it be? How much, how damaging would it be to the club? Like, I think it allowed me to pull, put a little perspective around it for myself. Um, because when you do dive into social media, you wind up really in some, I think, extremely polarized conversations at times. So it, mm-hmm. I think for me, this was a nice little break for perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've, I, I'm sounding like I'm giving myself massive credit here. I think I've kind of <laughs> always had that because I always have that like duality in my mind. And the, the one and only reason I didn't go like full Mikel Arteta out in that very, very troubled period in like the winter of 2020 was because I just sat there and thought to myself, who, like, who do we get? Like, I, like mm. the man, and, and <clears throat> it brings home to me. And look, I, I kind of think we're due um, after misfiring with Emery and the last years of Wenger and everything, but actually how hard it is to get a good manager at the moment. I think the demand massively outstrips the supply and there are a lot of clubs out there who be looking at us a little bit enviously like man united one of them like they just can't get that appointment right and some of that's because they're stupid but some of them it's because it's really hard and i'm looking at um you know below us like crystal palace at the moment like palace are just stuck in this like ennui of getting hodgson back and finishing 14th but then how do you go to the next level and they get Vieira and it does you know like it's really hard to do that and so i i always i just stepped back from that brink because i just couldn't see who else was out there and now it's like what on earth would we do and and it's not just the kind of Barcelona like look the Barcelona link like getting offered the Barca gig now is like being offered CEO of Enron in about nineteen ninety nine or two thousand like that that's not a gig you want right now but no I'm I'm looking around at the moment because these things are so cyclical and I can see like who on earth are Liverpool going to get to replace Klopp. That is such a big appointment. And I kind of have a theory that the first, the guy after the guy is doomed to fail, almost irrespective. Like I, I, I kind of, I, I quite strongly believe that. I just can't see many examples in elite football of the guy after the guy being anything other than a failure. I almost think it's impossible. And, and then I look, you know, covering the women's game as well. Chelsea have got the same thing with Emma Hayes. And in women's football at the moment, it's kicked off this big cycle of coaches everywhere signing new contracts. Like England just got Serena Wiegmann to a new contract. They didn't need to do that. She's not near the end. But, you know, you can bet her agent was going, there's there's another big job on the market here. Fancy, uh, fa- fancy giving us a pay rise, do you? Um, and like it's kicked off this cycle of loads of big coaches signing new contracts. And it's because clearly and they're entitled to do this, like just using it as a, well, that job's coming up. I'll get an interview for it. Do you fancy, you know, do you fancy like uh, giving my pay packet pack a bit of a bump? So when you see some of these teams who are struggling and who are probably about to struggle to find managers, I think you realise that we don't have a perfect manager. Of course we don't, no one does. 
But mm. like we're in a pretty good spot as far as that's concerned. That is, wh- whatever issues we have, that's probably the least of them at the moment. What's, you know, maybe, I, I don't know how much of an issue it is. We're going to change CEO and we've got some changes behind the scenes, albeit we're keeping some continuity there, but we don't know how that's going to shake out yet. I, I even look at, I was thinking the other day about the idea of getting M- Mislintat and Sanyehi in 2018 on paper, brilliant idea brilliant idea to get the data guy who can unearth gems and then get the guy with the contacts book and get them together like on paper that is a fantastic idea it didn't work because they clashed with each other and there was a power struggle and they both might be corrupt charlatans but you know your mileage may vary (laughs) well yeah of course which maybe i don't know maybe wasn't apparent at the time maybe it was i don't know but you know what i mean like on paper you can fully appreciate why arsenal made that decision at the time didn't work Mm. because it's hard it's really hard and i do think if you've got something good you should probably stick with it yeah and and to your point the guy after the guy failed at Arsenal, the guy after the guy may fail at Liverpool. In the case of Manchester United, the guy after 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 the guy failed, and sort of the guy after the guy after the guy after the guy he failed too. Clive, one thing that that I think we can finish on this because I do want to spend some time on the Klopp thing, and we and we need to do team news, Forest preview. We got a lot to do. You know, had the club announced a Mikel extension a week ago, for just for example. Well, I think it largely would have been met with a shrug, like, yep, that's good. He needed one. Takes that issue off the table. Good job. Well done. There would have certainly been, I think, some reaction of what has he done to deserve it? Are we doing this too early? Shouldn't we see what how the season wraps up? Do you think maybe this news breaking just eliminates any hesitation or any reaction around him getting an extension because it, it comes now under the cover of, hey, if we don't get this done... He's just going to continue to be linked to big jobs when they open up. Like, I think it it makes it seem that much more prudent, and I already think it was prudent, given that we don't want the manager's contract to ever be an issue that makes it hard to recruit or makes it hard to re-sign players. So do, do you think that this just makes it even that much easier for the club to go ahead and do what's needed, get, a, get an extension done and announce it? Uh, I, I, I sort of don't look at it. In the same dramatic way, I don't think I just don't think it like that. I think when you know when you're in a people organization like a football club, it's always about how you operate with the people inside, at all ages, all different levels. And it's quite clear to me that he developed a way of working that people in the club like from top to bottom. So when people say things like "we lose a couple of games, we're not sure about a manager," I just have to keep my mouth shut because. It's not only about that. Obviously, if you lose 10 games in a row, you've obviously lost something with the people. So what you should look yeah, for yeah. is always the relationships. Do you see the same strong relationships? And Tim was saying earlier on about potentially Arteta being looked at by other clubs, obviously. Yeah, not just Arteta, Edu as well. He's built a reputation. In, in, and, and we have two young people just on the start of their careers that work in tandem that many clubs would like. Many clubs would like. Manchester United would take them tomorrow. You know, they, they honestly, they would. And, um, and they're looking at other directors of football from other clubs in the Premier League. There isn't a big pool. Um, I've been spending some time in the recent couple of weeks while we've been off. We've been paid twice in January, I believe, looking at other managers, right? And there's a couple of young, bright English managers down in the Championship in Russell Martin. 
and Enzo Maresca, who's at Leicester. And there's obviously Ariola, you know, at Bournemouth, who's quite good. And Steve Cooper's had a bit of a rough kicking by Notts Forest, but I think he'll come back. So there is a layer of majors that are out there. Graham Potter's out there, starting to get his head up again for no doubt his holidays in Mauritius on Chelsea's money. Um, he's starting to get himself Thomas back up. Thomas Frank, again. Clive. Thomas I, Frank. I think Thomas Frank would be on some short lists. Absolutely, because of the way he operates, the way he manages, the way he's modern uses modern data. He is a very good, very good manager. You know, very it's a great shout to him. And I think Manchester United are thinking about him. Right, so we have a view of what a good major is, and I'm quite glad we're moving away in our minds away from the Contes and the Mourinho's, because that doesn't that doesn't work anymore. You can't talk to clubs, you can't talk to clubs to its core, and walk away with a big payoff or take them to court if you don't get your payoff. That isn't that isn't going to work anymore. You need people that can, that can connect inside the club and outside the club, also connect to the players. The players need to understand. The coaches, they want modern coaches, want modern techniques. They don't want yesteryear. And so we have that. I mean, look at one of our assistant coaches. I'm not sure he's even 30 yet in Carlos Cuesta. He might be 29, 30. I mean, gee whiz. I want to tell you what I was doing at 29, 30, but there's a place called Iron Apple was in it. I know I was doing a lot of that. So, um, <laughs> and so, um, so it's incredible what these guys are doing at a younger age, right? So, um, I think we're very, I think we're very fortunate that we're building something. Some people say, oh, it's taking too long to build. And I, I get really frustrated by that. Okay, you can't have everybody think like you think. If you look at the four years Arteta's been here and the COVID impact to those four years, the impact to the market, which would have slowed the, the transfer market, not just for him, but for others. And then you look at where we are right now when the transfer market's completely frozen due to PSR. You just see yourself, crikey, mate. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't had all the luck of the days when Abrambridge was throwing monies around on Shevchenko, et cetera, and Crespo and all. <laughs> and Man City bought like two or four fullbacks in the summer, or 50 million quid each, wherever it was. He hasn't had that, which no one was looking. Right? Newcastle must be mm. frustrated as hell. The richest club in the world, they can't spend anything. Um, so, yeah, it's just an interesting times. But this manager's learning very, very quickly. And I'm really, I don't think there's an inch of doubt that he's not going to get a new contract. And can I just, sorry, I I just wanted to add over the top of that, you talked about the transfer market being frozen. I actually kind of think that works in Arteta's favour because it means coaching means more at the moment. And I think that's why Liverpool have come back around. Like Chelsea have thrown loads of money at things. United have thrown loads of money at things. And that just hasn't worked. Whereas Klopp Mm. and Arteta, elite coaches with slightly fewer resources than those clubs, it's really worked. And so I, I do think that actually works in his favour that perhaps the transfer market, albeit he spent a lot of money, but the transfer market perhaps is a little bit slow. Yeah, mm. I think Tim, I think, you're, the- I think you're right. I think you're right. But what I want to say on top of that is people have their own measures and they look at the, the top line numbers. You spent nearly 200 million last year. Why are you winning the league? You know, and um, the fact we've got injuries and gaps in the squad still, we're still at a phase of the project that we're not quite complete on depth wise of things no one cares I've got what I mean I want, I want my I want my winning so I want to win I want to win no one cares no one's measuring in that way you know and I think you're bang on about this coaching is going to be it's going to be it it's, it's going to be it because people will not be able to spend 
that's what's going to drive it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I don't want to see people that's, was it Siggy Gid? The guy who went to Everton from Tottenham for like 50 million quid. I don't know what coming his name now. But yeah, thank you. Um, that's all, those sort of buys are just stupid buys. What are we doing? What are we doing? What as clubs? What, what are we doing to each other? It needs to stop. So maybe a bit of sanity is no bad thing. And we'll just get back to the core of the game, which is making people better. That that is an important part of it for sure. Um that that should just about do it for the non-issue Mikel links to Barca that we're not really going to talk about today. <laughs> um, so if you wanted us to talk about it, I'm sorry we disappointed you. We're just not going to. Um, you know, you can't make us. Okay. 27 minutes on the nose. Okay. Um, Tim. Team news and forest preview before we do the clop stuff. Mm-hmm. Party not in the squad. Maybe for Liverpool, maybe not. Mikel's comment on that was sort of like, he could be, but if he's not, it's no problem. Um, fair enough. The news on Rice sounds encouraging. The news on Gabriel sounds encouraging, but not definitive. Uh, late fitness tests for both of them ahead of Forrest uh, is is the news that I'm hearing. Uh, I say I'm hearing it. It's literally the news. <laughs> Everybody's hearing it. It was in the press conference. Um, thoughts on... This Forest game, I mean, obviously with Liverpool on the horizon, you don't need me to say it. This is what a trap game is. This is exactly what it looks like, smells like, shaped like. We've got F- Liverpool coming to the Emirates in what feels like a season-defining game on Sunday, and we've got Forest tomorrow. And maybe, just maybe, the slightest fitness concerns on players that you might be inclined to say, I'll just not risk them, except Forest away is not an easy fixture and a fixture we have lost. So um, thoughts on... How he, how he manages that. I mean, obviously, mm. my opinion is you have to take that game the most seriously. The next game is the most important game, and failing to win it makes the game after that a lot less important. So yep. I think it's the most important game, and you have to risk the guys if you have to risk them. But do you, do you feel differently? No, I think that's that's about right. Um, you know, this this isn't a ground where we haven't got a right to swagger into, really. <laughs> no, uh, quite frankly. So, uh, in fact, we've got a point to prove. I think the other thing is, and and of course, this this is where it really does depend on the fitness of of both players. We know what Forest do; they hit you on the break. They've got some really speedy forwards. It's exactly how they got us last year um, on the break, and. We need recovery pace. And for me, the two biggest exponents of recovery pace in our team are probably Gabriel and Declan and Declan Rice. So um, those are as long as they're fit, those are players you probably want, um, you know, when we have to chase backwards, because we will have to chase backwards at some point in this game. Hopefully not too often, but yeah, I, I just think also these are, for want of a better phrase, away game guys in Declan Rice and Gabriel, like maybe if it was Sinchenko um, who had a question mark, maybe you'd, you know, you'd question that if it was Havertz or someone like that, you might go, mm, yeah, actually, but Declan Rice and Gabriel, those are our away at Nottingham Forest on a Tuesday night, guys. So mm. they're fit. I think they should play. Uh, on the Partey stuff, I'd say that if he's not, if he's not in the squad for this, he clearly can't start against Liverpool so the most we'd get is him being on the bench against Liverpool. Whereas if you're looking for him to start that game, I think he'd have to be involved in this game from the bench. So I think that really rules out him really having much of an impact in the Liverpool game at all. 
Mm. Clive, you feel similarly? Yeah, yeah. It just just makes sense, right? And my, my hopes are not in Thomas' party yet. Uh, it's still it's still January, and we've got a way to go to the crunch time of the season. So um, let's see what happens you know, in the next couple of weeks. I was hoping he would be sort of on the bench by the weekend minimum. If that doesn't look like it's going to happen, then we'll see. We'll soon see. Um, with the Forest game in my head from the home game, they were quite sharp on the on the transition. You always remember the, you always remember the bits that, that scare you, right? So they got Ilanga. I think he had two breaks down left hand side. I think we played party at right back and we were very we were keying on that area, weren't we? We were looking at that area. So every time there was a run down the right hand side, we were talking about it on podcasts. Because we didn't like the yeah. fact that Gabriel wasn't playing and we weren't sure why he wasn't playing and this is gonna work. So we really focused on the left hand side, right? Um and uh and Anchor, he's very, very quick, you know, he's very, very quick. And um they got other players in their team that are that are quite nice. Uh well, the one I like is Gibbs White. You heard me say it before, the kids white and um it must be throwers in the England seventeenth team that won the World Cup and those careers along with Connor Gallagher, three careers that it's quite interesting to see how they peak and trough. Kids White had a struggle to get into the Wolves team. They made a chunk of change out of him, which now looks really good on the books, you know, Wolves, shall we say, now we know what it does. Uh, as a homegrown player leaving. And then you have a situation with obviously Gallagher was he went on the loan circuit for a while, went to Paris, did really, really well, come back into Chelsea, and he's got himself to a point where he's actually been captured on occasion, so the whole atmosphere and the whole culture of Chelsea's changed, and he's still there, but looking with a big price in his head uh, to go other places to allow Chelsea to, to probably take a Victor Osimhen into their club. And so suddenly you're looking at a homegrown player being used in a slightly different way. And Smith Rowe, we know he was one of that maybe didn't get in the own 17 team, was off the bench, and then he came through very, very quickly, but also suffered with injury. So watching those careers go up and down is an interesting one. But yeah, I think Forest is one of those games that um, we really don't do so well in. You know, you just turn up, and I don't, I don't know if Tim has been to that ground, I'm sure he has. But when you turn up there, you just get a bad feeling. You know, you just get a feeling. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just get a feeling. I can't describe it to you. Yeah, you know, I can't describe it to you when you go away. From, I, 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 I don't know as many as Tim, obviously, but I've been to most of the ground. You just walk in and you just, you just feel it. It's, it's one of those, if we get out of Dodge here with anything, it doesn't sit right on the table, but if we get out of Dodge with anything, I'll be over the moon. You know, other places you can go, you're playing crap. You think we're winning today, you know, cause just because it's just got a feeling around it. That doesn't doesn't sound like good podcast analysis, but those who go, you know exactly what I mean, right? So um, I just want to get a good feeling out of this game against Forest, and I, I haven't got one yet. <laughs> Can't wait for the whistle to go. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, we know we didn't play well in the home game. Um, you pointed out some of the reasons why. That was when we were talking about Arsenal having clicked. To be fair, we're still kind of talking about Arsenal having clicked. That's kind of become part of the season angst. But then you kind of look at them on the table, precariously perched 16th, um, just three points above Everton, who you know obviously would be above them if it weren't for the points deduction. They're staring a potential points deduction in the face. They're four points clear of Luton. They have a minus 12 goal difference. Um, you know, they're they're a little better if you like the XG thing. If you look at the home and away split, um, you know, they they picked up 12 points at home, three wins, three draws, four losses. 
Their last two games uh, before this Brentford game that they just lost, though, they beat United and Newcastle, uh, United at home, Newcastle away. The thing about them is they're just not going to have a lot of the ball. In our first game against them, they had 22% possession, um, but kept it pretty tight. It's one of the few games this season we actually lost on XG, um, despite winning the game. And Chris Wood with eight goals is obviously, you know, a, a guy having a good season who's going to cause problems. I think the first question that has to be asked, Tim, is just, you know, what what Mikel wants to do on that left-hand side. Uh, Trissard obviously scored an important goal in our last game. He, I'm going to stop short of saying is playing well, but has asserted himself <clears throat> as a guy who Mikel trusts. I think the reason Martinelli didn't start the last game, though, was fitness. You know, we kind of found out about that after the game, um, but obviously did re really well coming in off the bench. Having said that, I think in an away game where maybe maybe Forrest comes at us a little more, I mean, even even then, I don't think they'll have a lot of the ball, but Martinelli's pace to turn them around and counter on them, I think is good. His defensive support for Zinchenko is really important. I still think Martinelli will start. I assume it will be Odegaard, Havertz, Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka. I, I think mm -hmm. that is when fully fit the selection of choice. Um, do you, do you agree? I mean, do you think that's how he'll yeah. go up from? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think um, Trossard, uh, this was one of the, Martinelli missed the last two games of last season. I think those are the only games he missed. And this was one of them when he got that ankle injury at Brighton and Trossard played on the left in this game. And, and look, there was a lot more in that overall performance as well. I think Kibior was at left back that day, Partey at right back. Arsenal were done at that point. But, Trossard just didn't stretch them in the way that I think you really want to stretch Forrest. And if you look at the way we score our goals against Forrest at home, the first goal is Saka crashing in off the off the left off the right hand side and whacking one in the far corner. And the second goal is Martinelli beating two players with the the double drag back, um, getting the ball to Inketia and yeah, I, I I expect to see Martinelli start in this game, not least because he didn't start the last one as well. Like look. Maybe there's like I do think we as not even we as fans actually maybe even Arteta got to get comfortable with just rotating that front line a little bit more. Left wing is not the only place Trossard can play. There may be a place for him to play false nine in this game. Um, I, I think he's generally pretty good there. Jesus obviously Jesus offers a lot, but not really goals <laughs> at the moment. I think. Trossard's probably more likely to supply mm. that at the moment. So maybe there's a call for playing Trossard's false nine, give um, give Gabriel Jesus a little rest, keep them guessing a little bit, maybe try to establish a bit more of that relationship between Trossard and Havertz as well, where you've kind of got one false nining, one left eighting, and maybe some rotation of, of positions there. So, uh, you know, there's, there's potential to do something else there, but pretty largely I am expecting the team as it were. Um, and you kind of know what I mean by that. Yep. And I do think that for our development in the second half of the season, the team is going to have to be become a much more fluid concept. And some, you know, getting Vieira back, getting Partey back will undoubtedly help in that. But at the moment, it feels like we've got a pretty definite team. And I think that's not necessarily that healthy at the moment. Well, Interesting. Um, if if Gabriel can't go, it'll be Kibior. I don't think there's any question about that. So I think that's pretty straightforward. Um, 
If Rice can't go, then I think it gets a little bit interesting. I assume it would be Jorginho. Um, I just wonder, though, if then he'd want to go with Kai and Odegaard or if he'd want to try something that gives Jorginho a little more support. Although, I confess I don't know who that would be because <clears throat> Elneny won't be back from Egypt yet. They crashed out, so expect to see Mohamed Salah make a rapid and unexpected recovery from his, his injury in time for the weekend. Um, I, I don't know that there's anyone we really could use to support Jorginho in that case, but let's just play the thought experiment Clive, if if there is no Declan Rice, let's say the manager just wants to be extra, extra careful to have him for the weekend, a dangerous risk to take, but let's say he takes it. Is it just Jorginho for Rice and that's it? Or is there a way you think he might try to support Jorginho with another change as well? Now, one thing we do know about Mikel, to his fault, he has a hierarchy in the dressing room around selection and Jorginho mm-hmm. will, will play. I don't quite. I don't generally like the Jorginho Zinchenko base because you know Zinchenko yeah. will play. I think they uh, they completely mirror each other. And if, if I was thinking about Zinchenko's future in this squad, I would try to be saying to him, "I think we're going to make you into the next Jorginho." You know, as a, as a true rat attack six that moves the ball around and just pops it. You know, and um, and does minimal defending, but make sure you're a good pivot. That's how I look after the next phase of his career. The two together can work, but it's possession game, right? And against Forest, who are not a possession team, their transition team, those two are not transition defenders or midfielders, sorry. So that's a little bit of concern. And I have seen sort of Kai and Jorginho play Brentford in the League Cup game, where I felt they played more as a double pivot in that game. And I've seen that sort of work okay. So I'm not waiting any longer. I think how we use our defenders into midfield is what is how we bolster midfield. You know, so it's more or less, it's making me think about what a midfielder truly is going into next season when we're in the transfer market, etc. So yeah, there's no other options, Elliot. Hence, if we are going to go into the market, I think a versatile fullback is what I'd be thinking about because I think it unlocks it unlocks a lot in the squad, you know, positionally, to cover areas of weakness. So that is the only thing I'd expect to see before the end of the window. But otherwise, I don't expect to see anything. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I would consider. I, I think I'd, I'm probably <clears throat> overthinking this. I loved what I saw from Jorginho when he came on against Palace. But I, I, I am cognizant of the fact that the game was totally over when he came on. And Palace were dead and they'd kind of quit and they had brought on, as Clive pointed out, you know, guys that can't run anymore. I think Tompkins was not like it just wasn't. It was set up for Jorginho to succeed. But I still think the way he breaks lines and the way he progresses the ball is maybe even a little bit better than what Rice does. And I think that a Jorginho Odegaard Rice three for this game could work really well. Um, With Rice playing more of the Kai role. We haven't seen Rice have the chance to get closer to goal too many times this season, but I think he can be pretty devastating in in that pocket of space. And certainly, while it may not be the way you think of him traditionally, Kai isn't giving us so much in attack that you worry you're going to lose some dynamic, you know, goal-scoring maven. I don't know, Tim. Like, I I think that there is an argument in a game like this where we're going to have a lot of the ball for Jorginho to, to be the deepest midfielder as long as Rice is there because we know we can just chew up the ground and, and get back to help out. 
and really have that ball progression. That while I confess, I, I agree with Clive that a Zinchenko and Jorginho combination has vulnerability. I think as long as Rice is on the pitch, you're still okay. And then you have so much ball progression, final third entry and line breaking pass capability that I think you have a better ability to turn defending into attacking quickly and, and hurt Forrest, um, which we weren't very good at doing in the first game. So is that Galaxy braining it? Am I, am I overthinking it? No, no, no. I, I wouldn't complain if I saw that. I, I agree with Clive that I don't necessarily like Jorginho and Zinchenko, but I think if you have Rice in there as well, mm-hmm. uh, that offsets a bit of it, particularly if he operates in that left channel. I, I do think with Jorginho, um, I, my mind goes to a couple of things. First of all, I, I think I think we've always done this as fans. Like Quite often, the guy at the base of your midfield is quite slow. Like... Um, the the ones that tend to be quick tend to be your like your flamini types, but Xabi Alonso wasn't quick, Perlo wasn't quick, Makaleli wasn't even that quick. Um, you know, like you 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 look at a lot of these players, particularly deep line playmakers, Arteta wasn't quick. And and I think like pace is something that we we really index as fans. And so when someone doesn't have it we're like, oh, God, we've got to protect them. We've got to protect them. But actually, I don't necessarily always think you do. I, I Honestly, I don't often watch us with Jorginho in the team and think, oh, my God, he got murdered for pace loads of times today because I think his positional sense is good. But also, my mind goes back to one of his better performances for Arsenal at that time at Newcastle. And it surprised everyone because Newcastle were this front-footed, pressy transitional team and Arteta dropped Jorginho in he got player of the match and he said afterwards we didn't want to directly compete with them on that we wanted to keep the ball we wanted to keep it away from them that's one of the things that Jorginho gives you because his passing is good you're in fewer transitional moments anyway so I I wouldn't worry about him at the base it's it's the combination of him and Zinchenko like with Havertz ahead of them, I think particularly against a team like Forest, with the way they break down the wings, that would make us a bit too vulnerable. But I think if you throw Rice into that equation, um, I, I kind of think that's fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. I'm ready to move on unless you want to have a final comment on that, Clive, in terms of the Jorginho-Rice combo. No, no, it's just um, it's just interesting to see, to see how the brains are working. And Tim was talking about, about lack of pace there. I think it's more potentially... We fear the defensive transition, you know, and our ability to cover it. And that's what I fear with, with those two. But I immediately forget they're both going to have 100 touches and we're going to keep the ball for, for 88 minutes. You know, you forget that bit. You just bring your deepest fears into it and the, the, the two attacks they're going to have, can they manage it? You know, and that's what you do. But if we manage our attacks, maybe we've got to flip our brains. If we manage our attacks, then none of this will matter. We got to get back mm. to doing that, I think, and let the scoreboard show what the data is telling us, Elliot. I look forward to another five nil, three from corners, two from penalties, and a huge complaint that we don't score from open play going into the Liverpool game. Uh, we look, we will heavily discuss the Liverpool game at the tail end of the week. I think it's too early to do it now. We play tomorrow, so as I mentioned, we'll have an instant reaction to this game after that. Um, we'll do a director of football episode with Clive and we'll, we'll do the main pod, which will preview Liverpool. We're going to have live streams around the Liverpool game. We have very, very special stuff, uh, happening, uh, in Salt Lake city for the Liverpool game. And I'm still trying to confirm all the details around that. And we'll get them out to you as soon as I have them. So let's shift gears to the news that really, 
occupied the entire sports world uh, over the weekend, which is that Klopp is leaving Liverpool. But before we do that, let me tell you that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy. It's just therapy. I, I cannot say this enough. Just do therapy. Even if it's not with BetterHelp, just do it. But I think the reason BetterHelp is such a great option is that you don't have to get in the car. You don't have to leave the house. You don't have to budget that extra time. It is more affordable. You can find someone that you connect with that works for you because depending on where you're living, there may not be a specialist in your area or you may only have the choice of a couple of therapists that are convenient, that are less than a 30-minute drive or you know that take the insurance you have if, if that's a consideration or that are affordable and then maybe you don't connect with them. With BetterHelp, you can find a therapist that works with you well. If you need a specialist, you can find that. You can do it camera on or camera off. So if therapy is saying you want to sort of dip a toe in and you're like, you know what, I feel a little better with camera off to start. We're all together. You can do that. So, you know, I, I think understanding that so much of life is about getting yourself into a healthy mental state and understanding how how much harder that has gotten with social media, with all the things we're inundated with, with all of the ways that news comes into our life and affects our mindset, not just all the usual uh, things that happen in familial relationships and friendship relationships, romantic relationships and professional relationships. Therapy is, is a way to stay on track. And so I, I think it's something to do. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Become your own uh, your own. Be the, the what, what's the word I'm looking for here? This is one of my best uh, ad reads ever. I, I guess become the master of your destiny in terms of where you're headed uh, psychologically. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. I need to get one of those supplements to advertise on the pod for brain health, apparently. Um, really crazy, by the way. I, I've been affected by a little bit of a cold and it's nothing bad. I feel fine, but terrible vertigo. You ever had that? That was new for me. If you don't know what that is, it's when like everything feels like it's kind of spinning and twisting, kind of like you're on a, a ship, a boat. And so the world is just rocking and twisting. It's like really, really disconcerting. Um, I've had that. I, I had that when I left to Tollington after Bournemouth last year. It's like ah, I was spinning. Yes. I couldn't get to the same station. And I took about four hours to get home. Apart from that, it's very similar. Very similar. I don't think that's vertigo, though. I, I think I can diagnose that slightly differently. And I can guess that you probably did not feel great the next day either. Also, not vertigo. Um, speaking of two-day hangovers, I hope you're feeling better, Marcus Rashford. Um, an interesting story there, if you haven't heard it. Um, you should go check it out because things are going great at Manchester United. Really, really, really great. Played a full-strength lineup against mid-table League Two opposition in the FA Cup. And uh, at one point, we're pegged back to 2-2. It's, it's going great there, and I love it. Okay, Jurgen Klopp is leaving Liverpool at the end of the season. Let's do this from the Arsenal viewpoint first. Tim, is Jurgen Klopp leaving at the end of this season you have to flip the coin and decide which side of this you're on. Is it the extra 5% motivation that's going to push them over the edge? Or is it potentially a distraction where players start considering their future? I saw today already quotes from Van Dyke. He was asked, has this made you think about your future? And he's like, yes, I don't know if I'll continue here. You know, I this is going to be a lot of change. Everybody's leaving. All the people behind the scenes are leaving. So extra 5% or potential distraction? Which which way do you have it? I... I, because because it really could be either, and I've seen both. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, United had both because I think was it two thousand and two. Ferguson said he was retiring, 
and then they didn't win the league and he decided he wasn't anymore. Um, and, you know, that, that proved to be a distraction. But when he did go the final time, I mean, maybe it was the extra 5%. I tend to think, if I had to bet on it, because Liverpool is quite an emotional club and Klopp is an emotional manager, I, I kind of bet on in the short term it working in their favour. Mm. Um, I do think they're going to win a trophy this season, whichever one it is, um, maybe more than one. Um, in fact, I'd probably bet on them winning two. I think they'll win the Carabao Cup and the Europa League and obviously they're in the frame for the other two as well. So I, I think they're set for quite a good ending with Klopp, almost regardless of whether they win the league or not. Um, however, long term, good for us, really good for us because obviously he's a brilliant manager. He's a legacy manager. I think they're going to really struggle to replace him, like I said earlier, almost regardless of what they do. And it it might have a hint of the Fergusons in it, you know, when Ferguson looked at Manchester United in 2013 and thought, I can't squeeze much more out of this orange, so I'm going out at the top. And I, I, I do take what Klopp said about his energy at face value, particularly because he's someone who clearly emo- invests so much emotion in his management. Um, but and, and it is like Liverpool have had a couple of those air out of the balloon seasons, um, under him as well and Dortmund had them and I think he recognises that when his energy is not a hundred thousand percent it it's not that it doesn't work but you know it's like a significant drop off it's a big part of what he does in his makeup so I, I kind of bet on it working in their favour maybe in the short term but like long term that's one of our big competitors as you say their team's ageing out a little bit I don't doubt but when Klopp talks about his energy, a big part of that might be, how the hell do I replace Mo Salah and Virgil van Dijk? How on earth do I do that? Particularly with profit and sustainability rules and all of that. And, you know, they've, they've just been expanding their stadium. I don't know how much of an impact that will have on them short term financially. Like, it could be a tricky period for them. Um, and he might quite justifiably have said, I'm not the guy for that. Um, just as Ferguson kind of did the same, I think, in in 2013. So, yeah, in conclusion, I'd say short-term may be good, but long-term bad. I, I think undoubtedly it's going to take them some time, even if the best they can hope for is that they have a little bump, in my view. Yeah. It's funny because my initial immediate reaction, right, is, Oh gosh, now they've got that rally around Klopp thing. It, it's just on now. It's going to be a procession for Liverpool. And I think there will be some of that in the home fixtures. I mean, Anfield has this legendary reputation for its atmosphere, but Tim, as you've pointed out, having been there quite a bit, there's also a lot of that that's just, they sing a song at the beginning and they sing a song at the end. And what happens in between isn't always much of a legendary atmosphere, but it can be. So charge it. Yeah, this, this will, charge, will it. charge it in a big way. It's just really interesting as well, Elliot, because the women's team have got exactly the same thing where Chelsea's manager is going at the end of the season and oh, everyone's that. going, is this a distraction or is this the we want to win the league for Emma Hayes? And, and it's just very interesting that the men and the women have got the same challenge. Yeah, so so my, my initial instinct is it's going to make it tougher to play at Anfield. Um, thankfully we don't have to do that. And we already got a result there. Maybe not the ultimate result, but a result there. Um, you know, the funny thing is I had this Chelsea game as a hard one for Liverpool. Uh, and Kunku is back. Chelsea are playing okay right now. You know, they're kind of on the rise. And 
Liverpool have a lot of fixtures and they're coming off playing a lot of fixtures and they don't have Salah. But I think now the first game at Anfield, you know, in the league, post news breaking, I think it's I think it's going to be a tricky one for for them. And that, and that could give them that extra 5%. But I do think over the course of the season, players are professionals. And it's hard for us to remember, but this is a job for them. They will be on with their agents. They'll be talking to other players. On international duty, they'll be talking to national teammates. Should I go? What do you think? What's it going to be like when he's gone? I think, Clive, the easy answer is, yep, it's the extra 5% emotionally. I think the more complex answer is there are players that are going to have their eye on their future as well now. And I don't know that that's just naturally, obviously, necessarily the best thing for Liverpool. Yeah, when you have a manager like that, they provide like a protective state that sits over the club. Mm -hmm. And anything that goes wrong, that person is a spokesperson. He represents the club. He represents the club to the local community. You know, so he does a lot within the community, and he's he's very very people centric, and he's um, he connects with people really really well. And you can just he's an open book, very transparent, and very human, and very likable. Right, so I wonder how many times I was watching the coverage yesterday of the FA Cup, and I wonder how many times I was going to do a word count that the word emotion came up in everyone's commentary. Emotion, emotion, emotion. Uh, it sort of cheeses me off a little bit, right? My Arsenal head on, right? So, um, and the, the, the TV seems to focus on these emotional narratives. It's one at Newcastle as well, the emotion of Newcastle and all around it. And with the, the, the rebirth of Spurs, you know, the emotion between Ange and the, and the fans. And I suppose I'm saying that because maybe we've lost a little bit of that this season because we haven't won every single game, 5 nil because... Um, Mikel we, out! Yeah, Get him out of my club! Uh, <laughs> we just, we just, we just rubbish, really, aren't we? So, um, and so, so, yeah, I think, you know, we talk about Van Dyke, we're talking about Mo Salah, you know, Trent is in the final 18 months of his contract as well. I'm not saying anything's going to happen there because he seems to be the captain in the next phase of the club, but these things suddenly become, oh, 18 months to go. 18 months ago when Klopp's there, no one gives the monkeys. That's 18 months. That's one year to go in the summer. Who's going to be the manager? You know, so these things do mean something. You know, they really do. And um, the goalkeeper's not getting any younger. He's still brilliant. Um, and so these are the major pillars of the club that they're going to have to rebuild. And and Klopp's not stupid, right? He, you know, I just don't think he could see himself doing that again with those players not being there. It's okay moving on Mane and you bring in Nunes for three times the money, you know, he's okay doing that. And now you you really do need a Coutinho thing, job to get you back to where you want to go. And is that market really That's there? Salah. Only for Salah. And is that really yeah. still there even as we speak, right? So, mm-hmm. so a very tough job for him. It's, rebuilding is not easy. And um, we need to see what they go next. I tend to agree with what um, Tim said earlier on. Everyone's talk about Xavier Alonso, but if I'm Xavier Alonso, I would I would stay away from it until the next time, you know. And uh, much like when we when we were coming out from Wenger, and I was the names I was talking about back then was was Conte, and and um, I, I was okay with Emery because I didn't. The next guy was always going to be the guy that's going to suffer. So I wanted to be someone I didn't like, you know. Moody was going to shake the club up, you know. Didn't care about anything because we needed somebody who we felt wasn't part of the board, 
you know, like Wenger was. And so, and I think whatever Liverpool do next, and I was talking to people offline, someone like Tuchel could do well at Liverpool. And you might think, oh, what's he done at Bayern? But you know that somebody that just comes in, he's quite good, elite, but you don't have to love him. And the next guy is the guy that you want to love, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to cause them, it's going to make them, I'm going to have to watch Walk On now for every flipping week on TV, like we've never heard the song before. And all, and all the nostalgic commentators and go back into the 70s and we're going to start seeing stuff about Ian Rush and K. Daglish. And it, I'm just, I've grown up with this crap. I'm, I'm done with it. I can't wait till Sunday and hopefully we can take care of them. And, um, and then all that emotion stuff will go out the window, right? So I think it's very, it's very important we do our job against Forest and do our job on Sunday. That's where my head is at the moment, Elliot. I just wish you'd tell me what you really feel instead of beating around the bush. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think the intermediate term for Liverpool is scary because the worst case scenario, I think, is happening in this respect. I do think they could potentially get a windfall for Salah from Saudi Arabia. I think it's possible. I think they could potentially get a windfall and have some money to spend and be able to reload and rebuild a bit. But they're going to be spending it with a brand new manager and a brand new director of football and an entire shakeup behind the scenes. And there's absolutely no telling whether those are the people you want spending that chunk of money. If you gave Klopp and the current regime the chance to spend the incoming money and build the next cycle and hand it over, I think you'd feel a lot more confident than having someone with no experience at Liverpool coming in. And before they even really get a chance to hit the ground, they're told, hey, we have $100 million in the kitty. Go spend it. I think, I think it's tricky. And I think they're positioned for a couple of difficult years. I mean, look, even if Klopp had stayed, Salah going is a generational ending move. Even if it does look like they have some bright young attacking players, bright prime age attacking players already lined up to, to do the job, I, I think it's going to be difficult. And Van Dyke is nearing the end. He's already thinking about his future. I think this is a really interesting one to track. I do think Klopp will get the energy out of the crowd for sure, but whether... This creates some distraction towards the tail end of the season. It'll be interesting. One thing I also think is interesting, he mentioned, let's not say goodbye now. We'll say goodbye at the end of the season. We'll have a chance, whether it's at Anfield or at another country and another ground. And then he said, I mean, in another competition, not in another job. So obviously, that the only thing that could refer to is the Europa League. They could win the quad this season. Like, I think he'll want to win the Europa League. It'd be the last game he'd play at Liverpool that Europa League final. And if he's thinking of winning everything, Clive, then that's a lot of football that he's going to be prioritizing. They already went pretty strong even in their FA Cup, Cup tie. They're going to be stretching the squad to its limits over now in the, the end of May, you know? Yeah, I just want to... I, I agree with you. I think... I just want to say one other thing. I've been just sort of searching around Liverpool sort of sites and commentary, etc. And one thing I have learned about Klopp in the last couple of days is he's very keen on leaving a strong legacy behind him. And we see a number of young players coming at Liverpool. And uh, they've got the competition to do it, the FA Cup draws and Europa League draws to promote those young players. And I think I do admire him for doing that at a time when you could be seen to protecting your legacy by making sure you win everything at, with no risk. I think, unlike Fergie when he left, he left an aged team, Manchester United, and took the director of football with him and shot off into the moonlight and said, deal with that all these aged contracts and try to do what I did. 
And while he sat there, what's a stand named after him? I, I didn't agree with that. Klopp is trying to leave that club in a healthier place. They've got a number of young attackers, as you say. They've got a, they've got a, a youth player in Kwanzaa, I think his name is, coming at centre-back. Looks quite good. If you notice at the weekend, Elliot Robertson was on the bench, Trent was on the bench, just get themselves ready for next Sunday. Right, so um, they've got a rebuilding midfield that's been done. He won't see this come to fruition, but the team will be left in a better place for the next guy. So there is, there's some pillars to deal with, absolutely, but there's a lot of icing sugar. Do you know what I'm saying? For that, okay, already there, ready to go. And so if the right manager's selected, who brings his own style and brings his own people that he wants, there is something there to work with for sure. Yeah. I think so. I just hope that they get it wrong. <laughs> um, Tim, obviously, it, it adds a little spice to the game when they come to us. I think the, the club that's got a bigger thing to worry about is Chelsea going to them. We've, we've already covered that. I think for the season, we've already covered that. We've talked about the intermediate future, so let's just go a bit big picture here. Klopp, I think, is one of the best managers in the game. Look, I, I know that tribalism rules in football, and we're supposed to come on these podcasts and say everybody who's not Arsenal sucks and everybody who's Arsenal is great. I can't say that. I've enjoyed Klopp. I, I like the man from what I've seen, and I like the manager. I was one of those people who thought we should be trying to get him from Dortmund when his time had ended there, and I think had Wenger decided to go just a little earlier, that was definitely in the frame. I believe it. I believe it could have happened. Certainly, you know, we got a couple FA Cups out of sticking with Arsene. I, I I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with where we are now for sure. But for me, Tim, I think Klopp is the best or the second best manager in football. If you want to have Pep ahead of him, I, I think you have every right to. If you want to have Klopp ahead of Pep, I think you can make the argument. Now, some might say he's won one Premier League. What are you talking about? If you look at the point totals he's achieved, if you look at winning the Champions League, a Premier League title, two titles at Dortmund up against that Bayern team and making a Champions League final with them, he created a style that's become synonymous with him and been emulated. I think he and Pep have that in common, that they created the two sort of dominant styles of contemporary football. Not created, because I realized that there were guys that did it before them. You know, certainly Cruyff did it before Pep, and there were guys that did it before Klopp. But I mean, they became identified with the styles that became identified with contemporary football that were emulated by up-and-coming managers. Um, Pep has done it at the clubs where winning is expected. Klopp has done it at clubs that have a wonderful history and tradition, but where I think winning had not been the tradition. I mean, he even brought Mainz up before Dortmund, and I don't think they'd ever been in the Bundesliga, potentially, um, before him. So ultimately, yeah, I, I think he's he's up there. From a Premier League standpoint, the pantheon for me, in no order, is Ferguson, Wenger, Pep, Klopp, and then just outside of that tier for me is Jose Mourinho. Um, but I think that's the pantheon. So before we get out of here, let's, let's do a little historical analysis. What do you think? Where is Klopp? in the Pantheon um, from Premier League standpoint specifically. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the teams he's successfully competed with and uh, mm. there was a really nice phrase on uh, Wrighty's house last week uh, where I think Ian Wright said, Klopp saved the Premier League in many ways because without his Liverpool team, we'd be having a lot more serious competition uh, conversations about the level of competitiveness. It wouldn't um, even be the Bundesliga. It, it would yeah. be behind the Bundesliga and La Liga for competitiveness, genuinely. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And even then you're talking about City having won five of the last six. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe one day when he's in his rocking chair with his slippers, maybe he'll feel bitter about that. He'd be entitled to, I think, if he could look back and say, I can't believe I did all that and I only got one Premier League title because, yeah, someone else did things quite dubiously. And if you wanted to make the case that Klopp is better than Guardiola, that's the case you make, isn't it? It goes back to his uh, his very famous quote when he was at Borussia Dortmund and he said, we've got a bow and arrow and if you aim it well, you can do a lot with a bow and arrow, but Bayern have got a bazooka. That's exactly the challenge he's had at Man City. At the, at the same time, I think Klopp has been smart enough to pick his jobs well. And I think Dortmund clearly suited him. It suited him to take, like, I do think there's something in him competing with Bayern and Man City and having that slight underdog, maybe, and and having, like, um, in Dortmund and Liverpool, like, really tapping into the whole city and the whole identity of the club as, as well as... And that's why, like, he has... The, the four you listed, and the reason you put Mourinho outside of that is because Mourinho doesn't really have that. Doesn't really like Mourinho. His Wikipedia page looks good because he wins stuff, but there isn't a legacy there. Or maybe Chelsea fans would argue that I don't know. But like, yeah, Klopp, Klopp, and this is the thing that makes me wonder about Klopp about whether we'll see him in club football again because he strikes me as the guy that stays at your club for nine, ten years, builds it up. And like, is he going to do that again? Is he going to be able to find that again? Like, where would he go to find that? So maybe he will, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, like you said, just completely synonymous with a, with a style. Has he irritated me at times? Of course he has. But I kind of think it's impossible to be an elite player or manager in the Premier League when you're in the Premier League and not be irritated by some people. Sometimes he's irritated me far less than other managers um, put it that way. And and I do think at the core of it, a good guy and that Klopp and Liverpool was just one of those symbiotic relationships that, that just really worked. And you know what? The second he stepped into that club, you kind of knew it was going to work. You knew that that was a perfect marriage. And yeah, I mean, I've got nothing but respect for him as a coach and, and, and as a person um, as well. But put it this way, the biggest compliment I can pay him is I'm, very, very glad he's leaving and that he said very publicly he's not going to manage another Premier League club. Yeah, all agreed, all seconded. I mean, think about this for a minute. He has three of the top six Premier League point totals in history and has one title to show for it. Can I tell you another stat? Mm -hmm. Because people often say that the league title he won is asterisk because of the COVID season and it's completely unfair because they walked it. So here's a stat for you. If Liverpool hadn't played after football was shut down in March 2020, they'd abandoned all of their 11 remaining games. They still would have won the league. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Think about that. They had the league won before COVID stopped football. That's, I mean, that's remarkable. Um, 99 points, 97 points, 92 points. One title to show for it. Um, it, it, And by the way, like, LOL. You know, like, it doesn't pain me. But I think if you're evaluating Klopp, you can only evaluate him in that context, especially given that we use the same caveats to explain what we're dealing with trying to win titles against City. So, yeah, you don't don't get to do it any other way. Let's, um... I have to drop. Yep, okay. 
Uh, Tim, just uh, mute and turn off the camera, leave everything connected. Tim's on Twitter, Stillminator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Getting ready to wrap it anyway here. Um, Clive, let's let's get your thought on this, though. I certainly want to give you a shot at just putting the historical context to it. So when you think of that pantheon that I laid out of all-time greats, how do you have it? How do you think about it? Where's Klopp in that? Yeah, you know, I don't do ratings. <laughs> yeah, I <can't> <laughs> Even with that. I make you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, one thing I will say, behind the smiley face and, you know, the the very personable personality, there's actually a very good football watcher and football coach and understanding of players' talents there. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his coaching or his ability to hire good coaches and allow them to operate. I don't think he gets enough credit for his ability to see what's happening in-game and change and adapt to that and change the story of a game. I think he's brilliant at that. I I love the way he selects players. I'm someone that tends to like more physical, hard-running players. They they fit my eye a bit better. So I, I like the way he controls the area of the pitch with a level of intensity, physicality, and, and talent. Um, I don't always like his style of play. I think it's a bit up and at him. But so what? If, if everyone played the same, it would be really boring, wouldn't it? So um, I think some of that chaos, I think we've embraced in the last couple of games, actually, and I quite like it. It's find that balance between what City and Liverpool do is what we should be trying to do. So I, 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 definitely, I definitely like his values. You know, I like what he tries to be. I like how he, I like his value structure and how he puts it over the club, you know. And um, but it is interesting what's happening with him going and his backroom staff going at the same time. I find that really, really interesting. I still think there's more to come here in this story. Um, where he fits the English game, we 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 will see. Um, I've got a lot more respect for him than I do have for Ferguson, for Mourinho. That they don't, they don't, they don't compare at all in my mind about how because of the way they operate and how you operate is very important to me. So but yeah, I'm a I'm a fan while being pleased that we are catching them. We're in a conversation with them and I think we're about to overtake them in the near in the medium near term. He won't be there to see that. Yeah. Three Champions League finals, one Champions League, one with Liverpool, a Champions League final with Dortmund as well. Two titles for Dortmund and one for Liverpool with three of the top six point totals of all time and a, a style of football that I think helped change the game. <clears throat> so to me, one of the best and the kind of generational manager that when that person leaves, a club tends to go through a really difficult time. And we can only wish the most difficult of times on Liverpool <laughs> in the future because that just helps us. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. I think um, there's a lot of Liverpool v Arsenal to to be discussing in the next several days, but we've got to stay focused on Forrest. And given how much we've talked about Liverpool in this pod alone and how little was dedicated to Forrest, it gives you a sense of just where the brain could be, just where the mind can wander. And you have to hope that Arsenal do not have any mind wandering going on uh, ahead of the trip to Forest. It is a tough game. Mikel should have no trouble getting them up for it because he can point to how we've struggled against them. And I think uh, I think the team would be well up for it, but it's still still a difficult one. So we'll see what happens. And then, you know, maybe we do the unthinkable and root for Chelsea. 
look, I don't love it. I don't love it any more than you do. But football makes strange bedfellows, and that's where we're at. So Tim's already gone. Clive is not. So we'll say goodbye to Clive. Is on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you at full time tomorrow on the Instant Reaction. Again, that'll be live streamed uh, is the plan and then out as a regular recording so you can hear it however you want. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man Drinking. Gunner, we love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Or us know.